You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. So I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway, that Wendy McNaughton acknowledged me for asking the best interview questions. But what I didn't get a chance to say is that Wendy McNaughton has the best damn answers. I want to tell a little bit of a story before we get into the introduction for this episode's guest. And and hi, this is Ned Buskirk, your host. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. So glad to be here in your ear. Um, so I just have been having a hard day. And I don't need to go into those details, and this isn't like vague booking. I'm just having a hard day. We have hard days. Does it really matter why? Uh, It it doesn't. Let me just say, in this scenario, it doesn't. It just is one of them. And what does matter to me is how maybe I shifted a little bit out of having that kind of day. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Actually, I have a prompt written down for one of my cancer patient workshops, which is, what is that thing that is so hard to do, you resist it every time, but you kind of know every time you do it, it helps. And today I had one of those options emerge, and it was to call one of the cancer patients that I needed to onboard into one of my cancer patient workshops. And I had this moment where I pep-talked myself out loud, and I said, Ned, you're having a hard day. That's probably not going to change as it is right now. You're in it. But if you make this call, it's either just going to stay the same like it already is, or it's going to get a little bit better. And I just could feel the probably it getting better. And probably good enough that when the call was over, I'd be ready to record all these segments for this week's episode. (laughs) So I I was like, this could work for all the reasons. And so I just called them. I could have pushed it off a couple days, would have been fine, but I think I, I would have stayed in a bad day or at least in like a bad relationship to the day. And so I made the call and I had this long, sweet, meaningful conversation with this new cancer patient who's joining a couple of my workshops. And really quick, it's important to remember that the work I do with cancer patients in the workshops and in the hospital when I visit cancer patients in their hospital rooms, it is not overtly connected to you're going to die. I do not introduce myself as Ned with you're going to die. I introduce myself as Ned with the nonprofit that I have a contract with. And you could understand why, right? I don't think I need to explain that part. So the cancer patients, like the one I talked to on the phone, they don't know all this other stuff that I'm up to with you're going to die. Important to keep that in mind. So at the end of the call, I said, I want you to know that you should prepare yourself. These groups, it's something I care about a lot, create the kind of space where a lot comes up. And so be ready for someone to come in and really fall apart and share stuff that's really hard that might land for you, especially in the cancer patient context, in really triggering ways. But I think if you know in advance that that's the kind of space we're creating, you can maybe understand whether it's a good fit for you or not. Or know when you get into the group, okay, this is too much. I just wanted to write here and be creative. I don't want to be like emotionally overwhelmed. And like all you listeners know by now, it matters to me a lot to create spaces where we get emotionally overwhelmed, or at least maybe we need to, uh, the space for it to happen if we need to fall apart a little bit. And in these cancer patient groups, stuff comes up, mortality, loss, grief, um, big, big stuff, a lot of it. And I would call it so much, it's so much, 
but it's not too much. And my hope is we in these little communal gatherings can hold it. So I wanted this person to know that. And I said, also, I want you to know that I often get very emotional when I'm facilitating and I'll cry and you can count on it. And the person on the other end of the phone stopped me and said, I have something I want you to know that I just realized. And they said, I listened to this podcast. It's called, You're Going to Die, the podcast. (laughs) And the host on that show means a great deal to me because he's very emotional and cries and cries on the show. And it matters to me a lot, that show and how he is on that show. And I'm just sitting on the other end of the phone, just, (laughs) I just can't even believe it. I couldn't believe it, what this person was saying. And I just told them, okay, thank you so much for giving me what I needed here. (laughs) This accidental moment that absolutely was what I guess I needed to get in calling you. And now I need to go record these segments for the next episode of the podcast. Is it okay if I tell this story? And they said it was. And now here I am crying again, sharing it with all of you. And it's such a good and right episode to show up just like this. And I just want to get to a conversation that left me crying. It had me cry. And boy, also did it have me laugh a lot. And you know what? I really hope more and more of our conversations have more and more of tears and laughter. I want you to listen and I want you to cry if you need to. And I hope you laugh like you need to. Um, Like I just did talking to this person. I cried and I laughed because I just can't friggin' believe it. The serendipity of them somehow listening to this show and then ending up on a call with me to get them into one of these cancer patient workshops I facilitate. My mind and my heart is blown. This episode's guest uh, also left my mind and heart blown. Wendy McNaughton. I've known about Wendy for a long time. I followed Wendy on Instagram. I think I maybe even reached out to Wendy way back just to say, hey, I bet we could have a good conversation that means a lot on the podcast, and nothing came of that uh, exchange. But they have a book out, a new book. It's not new, and you'll find out why. It's called How to Say Goodbye by Wendy McNaughton, and we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about this book and its being in the world. Simply put, the book is a book that got created out of Wendy McNaughton's artist and residency time at the Zen Hospice Project guest house in San Francisco. If you recognize the name of that guest house, it's because it's come up on the podcast before. The foreword in this book is by B.J. Miller. And yeah, all the connections. There's so many connections. Connections happening uh, all around. Abundance of connections. So we talk about this book. We talk about Wendy being in the world, the art of paying attention, what it means to drop in, to listen and pay attention to what needs paying attention to. Something I've talked about on the show a lot. And there are so many ways the way Wendy is in the world really felt like it met where I am in the world. And I'm not saying I've made friends with everybody that's been on this show. In fact, so grateful for anyone to join the podcast and be a part of our amazing list of guests. And I think there's always a part of me that's like, hey, can we, do you want to be friends? Can we be, can we be friends? And I think Wendy said it in our conversation. That's how they hope to be in the world too. So I think I made a friend here, y'all. And I'm so glad to share the first conversation to start off this friendship that Wendy and I share in this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Wendy's work lies at the intersection of art, storytelling, and social work. She uses drawing as a vehicle to connect with people and share stories that are often overlooked or avoided. She's published 11 books, most recently How to Say Goodbye, Wisdom of Hospice Caregivers, 
She also teaches art and drawing to kids at Draw Together Studio and to adults on her substack, The Grown-Ups Table. But really, she's teaching and learning how to use art to be a better, more connected, and loving human. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy being a part of it, recording it, all the things of You're Going to Die the Podcast with Wendy McNaughton. Uh, I'm good. I'm coming out of a really hard time this year. Um, it's been a really hard, um, hard year with a lot of kind of loss and pain and I'm coming, I don't want to say like out of it, but it's evolving and I have like new sparkly stuff in my life, which is exciting. So I am arriving today, like kind of holding both. And Mm -hmm. that's a pretty new experience for me. Um, to try and hold both of those things at the same time. So we'll just see how that plays out in a conversation. (laughs) I mean, in a whole life, it feels new. Like what, what, how can you describe that? That's I, I literally necessary. <laughs> tried to do a book called how to say goodbye. Cause like, I didn't know what to do. Like I just mm-hmm. am somebody who's like, it feels good. It feels bad. Like do something about yeah. it. You know, like that's yeah. my, Fix if it. you're yeah. sad, make something. Yes. Yeah. Turn it into a project. Like mm-hmm. everything has, I'm very action oriented and that's a strength of mine. And I'm proud of that. And also there's like a time and a place for that not to be what mm-hmm. I lead with. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning that right mm-hmm. now. And it's, mm-hmm. So I'm really happy to be in this conversation. This, this book coming out now is so ironic because I made it six years ago. And if we had talked six years ago about it, I think it would be a very different conversation because it would be much more theoretical in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, now I just feel like I'm in a a bit of a soup and I don't mind it so much. Yeah. And do you think partly it's because of, uh, the the work uh, with the dying and and this book and kind of like the content that it represents, you know, of your experience being in that being there. Do you think that's no, part of how I think, it lets you be in the? I think it was. A, a yeah, bit? I think it was like the found like that was like a foundation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yep. So that then when some big shit came calling for me, um, I kind of had some like some echoes and some tools and some people, you know, like resources that otherwise I don't think I would have even thought to call, to call upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird how things like lay them, like the, the universe, you know, yeah. the yeah. universe. <laughs> I love that. It's like, how could I try to explain this? Well, I'll just call it the universe. The universe. <laughs> Speaking of the universe, let's go back in the universe's time uh, to do both a, here's the story of the book to give the listener a little more like, what is this thing? I want to start by going there. I want to start by acknowledging what I think is really sweet and that you acknowledge in the book, which is that when you first did it, you really did it and gave it not as like, here's the next thing to you know publish and put online. And so people all over the world can have it. You really gave it as a communal offering. Um, and is that accurate and saying it that way? And is that far enough back to go? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to, um, when we talk about like making art, there's different ways to do it. And, um, my job is to make stuff, right? Like that's my job is to make books or stories or paintings or whatever they are. And I make them to share them with the world, but also like, to sell them, you know? Um, and once like that becomes one's job or once it became my job, the idea of like making projects kind of changed. And so when I originally made this book, how to say goodbye, um, I, it's very small. It's very slim. It's just like kind of like a little visual poem, but I did my best to do my job (laughs) and it felt very personal and very um private can I, can maybe I, can I, yeah please i want yeah 
uh, um, before I don't want to leave that train of thought. And I want to say like, you put it as your job, you know, you, what, what, it, what would you describe before you did it? What would you describe your job was? My job is to draw. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds but this like that's, that's all like you came in to do is, somebody's yeah. job is to write but that means so much and my job is to draw and i use words um but generally my job and in this context is what i called like a graphic journalist or a drawn drawn journalism right. um which means i spend a lot of time with people almost like in an ethnographic sense and i just i had ethnographic like it's just i hang out with people like we're friends (laughs) yeah you know like (laughs) i get to know people and um in a way that is very like mutual and um and i draw people like from life in the moment very quickly um and i think that that creates a different sort of dynamic than like taking photos of somebody uh because it has a direct line of sight it's much more of a collaborative thing we can like we look at each other we spend more time together uh and then i combine drawings that i do with the words of the people that i speak with to tell stories yeah um and so that is sometimes like i've done that for the new york times i had a column there for a while like so it's, I have a body of work of that. And that's what this fell into was like that body of work. So it was mm-hmm. my job. I was an artist in residence at the Zen hospice project. And I did this, I was going in for about six months, like twice a week. Um, and then took a break and came back. So all in all, it was around a year. Um, and then at the end of that, I had this, this, all this, all, all this is not material. It's all these people. Like I had all these people, mm. Mm-hmm. and they shared with me so much and it was, mm-hmm. um, beautiful and important and I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't want to be like, Oh, these are people who just, who families who let me into their lives and people who sat with me in their most vulnerable, like I sat with them in their most vulnerable moments. And we sat together, I should say. And, um, and I'm not going to go around and like pitch that to a publisher. Like that didn't feel right to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. To start talking about like the market, like it's just yeah. not. Mm. And, um, so I just made it on my own. I just made this little book and my aunt who was person who kind of kicked it all off. She had passed and I'd been drawing her as she was dying. There, her drawings of her in the book. She had left is it, me. Is it Tilda? T- uh, Tildy. Aunt, Tildy, yeah. Aunt Tildy, yeah, mm-hmm. who was a kindergarten teacher and an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and she left me a little bit of money, and I took some, and I went and I made two hundred of these books. Oh wow! And and then I gave those away with the understanding that if somebody, I mean, they do whatever they want with them, it's theirs, but if they found it helpful in any way that they'd pass it on to somebody mm. else. And then I just thought of them kind of like something that, that I had been so lucky to benefit from could kind of echo out if it, if it was meant to something that happens with books and with all like art that turns into something that we sell in some way is that we expect that it should get as big as possible and everybody should want it. And like, and with this, it doesn't feel that way. I, I still mm. don't feel that way about it. It's mm-hmm. weird. I should not, I'm like a terrible marketer. Mm. I'm like <laughs> the way yeah. I, the way I said it was like, if you think it's useful, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good sell, but it's true. I just think <laughs> yeah. like, Authentic. so that's why I said, if you find it useful, yeah. just pass it on. And if mm. it, and then after a while, um, I ran out and people were asking for more. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I feel like I had enough kind of distance from it where mm. I felt like I could let it go without feeling feeling responsible to the people who compose the book, but also letting go of the attachment, I guess, in a way mm-hmm. and feeling like they'd be proud, like they'd be happy yeah. about it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that's how we got here. I, I, I wonder too. I just thank you for all that. 
just crying multiple times listening to you. Didn't You're the know best crier in there. The- <laughs> You're the best. Oh You're my God, favorite crier. You're the best. <laughs> you are. Uh, um, I don't think in the book you acknowledge you you include that your aunt's money that she left you is part of the beginning too, and that feels sweet and really really nice to 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 know. Um, your aunt really is is that like much a part of this, and I know too your aunt's like drawn in there. I almost feel like your aunt's at the end. Is your aunt the last uh, image? Nope. Okay, it's fine. We'll cut that's this out. That's what you're talking about. No, don't cut it out. No, that's okay, Catherine. Right. You're talking about the woman with the blue eyes. Is it? Is it this woman? Hold yeah, on. I know no you're not. words on it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, that's Catherine. That's Catherine. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. There's the good, this one. Are you talking about her? This woman? No, I'm actually no. talking oh, about Oh, you're talking about... Woman. No, uh-uh, that's a volunteer. So there's a picture of a woman who's planting, who's like the the, the motif, like a uh, theme throughout the book. Like Zen Hospice, the guest house had fresh flowers all the time, you know? That's but great. of course, yeah, I do as know. all yeah. things I went there. die. Yeah. yeah, like they were in various stages of dying all the time, yeah. right? Um, and that makes sense. And so mm. I drew them in their various stages of dying. And throughout did, the book, yeah. there's the flowers, um, guy and then at the end there's a picture of a drawing of um one of the um uh volunteers at the guest house planting new flowers um this is the the pencil drawings that go along with those five things those ones those are my aunt in the days leading up to her death okay all right and there's one other person though so the so tildy Yeah, I there's a, a bunch of pictures of her also when she wasn't she was um, earlier in her dying process and she used to <laughs> the ones that are in pencil are very quiet. They took a lot of time. I like paid a lot of attention in their soft drawings. And then there's one of her like holding my dog Suso, and um, it's a much faster sketch. And I remember like she she had Parkinson's and she wasn't talking very much at that point, if at all. Um, and she kind of like shoves Suso off and I, I took her and I put her down and she could barely move at this point, but she <laughs> just really so well. She looked, looked at me and she kind of gave me a bad look and I didn't understand why. And then with like all her strength and intention, she started picking dog hair <laughs> off her shirt, you know, and yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I get know. you. I get it. Anyway. <laughs> There's great, great people. Uh, in that's there. great. Yeah, I love, I love making some time for Aunt Tildy. Um, that's what I mean to acknowledge. Yeah. So thank you for that. And um, uh, what I'm, what I'm wondering about is, the, okay, I'm going to just go right to what's very clear for me because there's a couple threads I want to pull on eventually. One, one of them is to kind of go back to what we were describing, going into the Zen Hospice Project House. Um, what it means to come in like you described you do with getting everything set. And I mean, I'll cut to the chase. This is my, after all these podcast episodes, I'm like, ask the longest questions. What I want to know is what was different about the job? Like, is there a way to describe what the job became when you were in there? Did it change because of this different kind of context. Um, I mean, I'm almost imagining you be having everything set up. I really do imagine this, Wendy, and it's okay if it didn't happen, but like, I imagine you drawing and being a part of these moments and just like crying, you know, I mean, you're with people at the edge. It's different from, I think, and you could be like, no, you're wrong. It's not. Here's why. But it seems to me it would be so different from even going into San Quentin and drawing the brothers keepers. It's different. Oh, totally from, different. You know, anyway, I don't know what's coming up uh, for you around. That. I do not cry in those situations. Mm. Um, I cry after mm-hmm. like later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in those situations, I'm like embarrassed to admit it. Cause I think of myself as a pretty emotionally aware person, but I mm-hmm. think that when like really big feelings come up, my system shuts down. Mm. Um, and I like, I kind of, again, I'm like a doer and I'm like, okay, how do we like focus and make meaning of this very important moment right now? And I just switch mm-hmm. into that kind of gear, mm-hmm. which 
serves me, I think it's probably a protective thing, but it serves me well, like in a job, I like a job is such a bad word for it in art. <laughs> That's what like in, in art yeah, making, you know, in yeah. the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then afterwards I like fall apart, mm. just totally fall apart. It's like a, it's like a wave, you know, or, or like, yeah, it just like comes on pretty hard afterwards. Yeah. And then I'm laid flat laid flat how could you possibly feel it seems like you're implying that there's something wrong with not getting emotional when you're in the context doing the work i wish that i like when big feelings come up i wish that i'm like envious of you i wish that as feelings came up that i was able to like um embody them like literally like have them in my body and then kind of because i think it's an opportunity for connection it's a really beautiful thing when people you know, share yeah. their insides on their outside. Mm. Like that's so how we saying, <laughs> at the end of this call, when we like stop recording, you're just going to like burst in. <laughs> burst in <laughs> I'm going to be in a Leap, ball <laughs> for days. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I yeah. get that. Yeah. I, I, when I'm, when I'm drawing, like it's, it's, I, I really try my best it's funny you started off talking about hats and putting on different hats. Mm -hmm. And when I'm doing something like I did it in the guest house, even in the guest house, or you mentioned San Quentin, I have been to drawn in Guantanamo, you Mm. know, like really, really, yes, it was terrible. Oh my God. And really intense situations that could not be more different than the guest house. Okay. But what I mean is that they're just really emotionally intense situations. Um, what I imagine not as putting on a hat, but I imagine, and I do this, like, this is, this is like my social work training, right? Mm -hmm. I imagine that I have like a light above my head, a spotlight, and it's not on me. Like I put the spotlight on the person who I'm paying attention to. And that's all I can see. And, and I think I'd probably be able to see them better, quite honestly, if I was like more in touch with those feelings as, Mm. as they were, as they were coming up. But that's just not where I've, I've been at. It's just all, like I said, like afterwards, they're all in there. I know they're there. Everything's being directed like at that, that it's a connection and also Mm -hmm. just a, a really intense scene. And then afterwards it's like, and then Mm -hmm. I sleep for a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you ever had a moment when you were drawing in a, in a, in a situation, whatever, whether it's the Zen project, you know, Zen hospice projects, guest house or Guantanamo or San Quentin, any situation in your life where you were doing work like that and the emotion was there and it stopped you like it did come up. Oh my gosh, that's such a great question too. Um, let me just think for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know why we're talking about all these prisons, but like oh, the thing that comes to mind, I also did like a long time ago, a project at Folsom, um, Folsom, prison Mm -hmm. and I remember like feeling so overwhelmed it was my first time in a maximum security prison it was so intense and I had so many feelings and they were so like conflicting and and complicated and like you know compassion and fear and you know like just disorientation and all this stuff that like I didn't do, I didn't do a good job. I'll tell you that (laughs) it was, it was like too much all, all at once. So I wasn't able, um, to focus. And that was so different. I, I think every time I go into any new situation to, to draw, I'm terrified always. I don't just mean like a maximum security prison. I mean, like I'm going to go into a bakery and ask the baker about their cupcakes. Like that to me is like, Ooh, What's, are they going to what? like, yeah. yeah, what, what, what? 
<laughs> what like, are they going like, to do? <laughs> they might get mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <screw> yeah. <laughs> get the hell out and of here. My, my cupcake bakery. Um, ultimately, what uh, I'm doing is I'm going to people and I'm asking them to open themselves up to me and connect with me. And that and is... As, when, what if they don't? Yeah. You know, and sometimes people don't and that's fine. And my gosh, if they didn't, it would be weird. Right. Right. But it's a vulnerable thing for somebody who's like, wants to connect with people to do. Oh my so I, I kind of like always have to like muster up this courage and go. And I had the same thing in the guest house, the difference between like full somewhere it just didn't work out and the guest house is that the guest house like it's time and it's slow mm -hmm. and you can actually establish relationships with people mm -hmm. and and when i think i'm doing my best work it's does it's not coming from like being a voyeur or being like an objective viewer it's coming from spending time with somebody so that as simple as the lines might be that I'm drawing, they're drawn with like an energy of love. And hopefully you, when you look at them, you might be like, well, that's a scratchy drawing, but I can tell it's drawn with love. Hey everybody, it's Ned again. I know usually in the middle of these episodes, I often list off a ton of different things you can do to support your Going to Die the podcast. But for today, I just wanna focus on one. And I'm gonna start by asking you one question that's really long, and it is this. Has this show, this episode especially, mattered to you at all? Did it? make you feel something you didn't feel before you listened to the show? Did it make you laugh? Did it make you cry? Did it remind you of something that you hadn't thought about in a really long time that you needed to think about? Did it remind you of something that matters more than most everything else in life, maybe? Did it give you something you needed today that you didn't know you needed? Or did you listen and get something reliable that you get when you listen to all the episodes of You're Going to Die, the podcast? If so, share it with somebody. Text it, email it, send this episode to someone you care about. Send it to a bunch of people you care about and say, hey, this podcast episode matters to me and I think you'd appreciate it too. Send the podcast to someone you know in the world who's dealing with the hardest parts of being mortal. They're dealing with loss or grief. Whatever it is, the show, I hope, has been made to meet people there. And by the way, I hope it offers us things to deepen our experience of being alive, to inspire our lives, too. I hope that. I hope people listen to this thing and feel more alive than they did before they clicked play. And if that's some version of what you got, then send it out to people with, with that in mind. Share it with people because of that. But the last thing I want to say is thank you, you who are listening to me right now. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. Asking all the good big questions, Ned. Come on. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I do think that's true. Nobody makes anything in isolation, and certainly nobody lets it go into the world in isolation. Mm -mm. 
I mean, no. BJ Miller's forward, just BJ's forward alone. You know, like I could cry. So I mean, like I always right? like I want to read it in the intro, you know, because it feels like he's saying, "Here, I'm going to hold this just right. I'm going to hand it yeah. to you." You know, right? And having context for something, especially from somebody like BJ, who can speak so soulfully to something's mm-hmm. heart, you know, mm-hmm. um, helps helps give it that context that that will help it make sense to people, I think. And yeah, honestly, get as much from BJ's intro as like the whole rest of the book. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good. Yeah, I felt that. And, and getting like the support um, of some people who I respect really deeply, definitely. I mean, of course, like it's just, it was just really personal and it, it wasn't ever going to be a big thing to go out into the world. So to have some people that I respect say, no, Wendy, like, it's not about you. Like, this mm-hmm. isn't about you. It's not about mm-hmm. your, it's not about your feelings. And like, this is, mm-hmm. you've made something that's helpful to, to other people. And if oh, it yeah. can be helpful, then just like, let it go. And mm-hmm. that has been, like I mentioned this early, but earlier, that it's just been like a hard year. And it's, it's so, it's like, it's like a meta book in a way, because I had to let go of this. I had to say, there's nothing more I can do with it. Yeah. I, I did all that I could. I did my best. It could it be better. Of course. Could it be worse? Probably, you know, mm. but I did my best and it's not about me. And now I'm just going to let it go into the universe. And then, mm. but having people support that certainly was validating and mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah. Thank you for all that, for everything so far. Um, oh, and especially just to go back to BJ, like it was, yeah, his, um, it's, uh, worth, worth the price of the book alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about BJ a little bit. And I, I'm wondering just the Zen hospice project guest house, like the opportunity to be a rep you know, do the residency. Um, I'm wondering if there's more to share about that. And then that might be the way into, you know, talking about Lady Bird Morgan and, and sort of her role, which you acknowledge, you know, in the book. Oh yeah. She's, she's been part of this. Like we've been in conversation the whole time since we met at Zen Hospice. So when I started, BJ was there um, he started this artist in residence program. Actually, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about because I've gotten a lot of people emailing saying like, how can I do a residency? Or I'm at a place and we're interested in starting a residency, you know? And mm-hmm. it's kind of a radical idea to have an artist, you know, in any setting that isn't traditionally an artist-oriented setting. Um, mm-hmm. And I think BJ astutely saw how like with his interest in aesthetics and creating like a full sensory experience for people up until past the point they pass, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for all of us, uh, it made total sense to have an artist in residence there who is being creative in the space and engaging with people in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right. And like having Mm -hmm. a creative conversation, Um, when I started, BJ was there and he left shortly after I started. And then the house was in a very large state of transition for some time. Um, a lot of, uh, it was interesting to watch the guest house kind of become a body in a way and, Mm. uh, and watch it change and eventually, um, be let go. Like there is no more guest house anymore. Um, uh, I was the second artist in residence there. The first one um, is a monologist named Josh Kornbluth. Um, and he was there, you know, as a volunteer interacting with people and volunteered right up until the end. And now has um, an ongoing one man show, about, like mm-hmm. very much based on that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and after me, there was a woman named um, Diana Waymar who did, um, she's an embroiderer. And she did beautiful embroidery. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think so many other places could benefit from an artist residency like that. I think you must have met Claudia through there, Bichen. Yeah, she she mm-hmm. was there. We overlapped with, um, she drew, she's an incredible um, portrait artist, graphite, I think. And she did a beautiful drawing of a woman named Jenny. 
um, who's since passed. And yeah, it's fun. There's a drawing of Jenny in my little oh, book. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. There? Oh. yeah. Oh, wow. And then cool. there's a beautiful portrait of Jenny that incorporates her story into the oh, um, stitches of um, uh, Claudia's incorporate the her, Jenny's story into the stitches of her sweater. That's right. So beautiful. That's right. Yeah. So Claudia is a dear friend, which, uh, oh, and, and amazing. Yeah. So like one of our events, one of our, you know, we do a lot of open mics, but we do concerts and, and events like showcasing work that obviously lands in this conversation of death and dying and mortality and all that. And so we did thoughts and passing was the project and we did a big yeah. live event where we had the videos of the audio from her recordings of them. Uh-huh. And Jenny of course was up there and it would be like video of the audio with like close up zoom ins of the the portraits. And then also some of the portraits actually in the space, we did it at Noe Valley ministry in in uh, Noe Valley, obviously. Um, anyway, she's like one of my best dear friends. And I'm like, I want to send her a picture of the picture of Jenny from the book. Oh, so I think, maybe I, can... I think I did. I reached out to her. We talked cause oh, I was cool. just, I was trying right here. There's Jenny. That's right. I just Jenny. had it open right to it. I was like, yeah, I sitting in front okay, of her cool. artwork. Yeah. All right. I'll, I just want to, um, I'll just want to. There's one drawing I did of Jenny that did not make it into the book. And it was not, it was of Jenny, but it wasn't Jenny. It was um, an ashtray filled with cigarette butts yeah. and yeah. a couple discarded flowers <laughs> on the table right next to it. And that was, that's Jenny. Like totally. that, the flowers. I know and that. And that's, that's an acknowledgement, <laughs> you know, for you and Claudia to like, be like, I know, Je- I know Jenny, yeah, you know, like yeah, I never yeah. met Jenny, <laughs> but like, if you, you, you didn't have to finish the sentence. It's like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, yeah, cool. Thanks for that. Uh, and, and then, um, do you want to talk more? I kind of want to know about like Ladybird and sort of what were those calls? Like how was, what was that like? Oh, right. So, so sorry. When I came back, um, I took some, I took some time away and then I came back to the guest house. Everything had kind of changed when I came back. And, um, that's when I met Ladybird. Um, and I was coming in and drawing and hanging out and talking to folks for a while while she was a nurse there. Um, and we developed a friendship. We turns out we had a lot of stuff in common. I remember we had this conversation at the nurses station. We both went to the same MSW program. We'd both Mm. worked overseas a bunch. We had like similar interests. We just kind of had, you know, sometimes you meet people and you Mm -hmm. soul lock with them. Mm -hmm. We just like had a quick soul lock. Mm -hmm. Um, and a gentleman who was there, he was dying. His name was Russ. She was taking care of him. And I had met Russ's wife, Anne, um, and had gotten to know them pretty, pretty well. And I was coming in and spending time, time with them. So we kind of developed a little, a little tight circle around Russ Mm-hmm. Um, and, and after he passed, Anne really kept Ladybird and I in touch. She would take us um, and another nurse out for lunch um, to kind of honor Russ and mm-hmm. honor um, that experience that we all had together. Um, so that's how we first stayed in touch. And, and then as this project kind of unfolded, I had looked to her for guidance. Uh, part, of, part of the thing is like, I work in different worlds and I'm, I'm, I'm like a generalist, right? I'm not, I'm not an expert in anything. I'm, I pride myself on being able to find the right person to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And Lady Bird, um, who is a palliative care nurse, um, social worker, uh, she is a craniosacral therapist. <laughs> um, she, uh, works in like research around, um, psychedelics at the end of life. And you see, I mean, she just kind of does all of the best work in the world, <laughs> all in mm-hmm. one wonderful human package. Yeah. Um, she, I would check in with her and I would say, how does this land with you? You know, is there any, what would be more useful? And, and she helped me, um, basically make it as useful as can, it can be. Like, for example, in this edition of the book, I put a bunch of resources in at the end and I yeah, wanted to see amazing. how that, yeah. you know, how it can, just how it can be more useful. So she helped me with that. And yeah, mm. she's amazing. Um, and now yeah. you're, I'm doing interviews around the book and I, most of them, 
um, Lady Bird and I are doing together because oh, cool. I can talk about my experience as like an artist and, mm-hmm. you know, how drawing serves connection and, and this project in terms of that. Um, but I think I, I'm not the expert in the way yeah. that she is. Sure. I um, and so I can just like, I can pass the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Over to yeah. And I, and I so appreciated that that was a possibility for our talking and thanks for leaning in for whatever reason you did to just doing it solo with me. Cause it feels really good to focus on you and, and, and it would have been great to have lady bird too, but, um, I know you guys have talked before. Yeah, we are. She's been on the show. Yeah. She, we just, so this is funny. Like we were, while we're trying to like get, have you both come on the show, BJ and her were on the show. That episode just Yay. came out and they're talking about your event next Thursday. And so it's just funny, like how much time I'm so grateful to get with amazing people like you and Lady Bird is one of them. And yeah, I've known her for years just because of all the connections. I mean, that's what I'm feeling really, by the way, overcome with right now, which is gratitude to meet you now in these ways and feel like the network of really powerful people. You know? Oh my God. Such It's such a, such a, but I think we find each other, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, like we all find, we find each other. We find each other through, if we're people who are being led to the work we do by our hearts or mm-hmm. the universe, the universe, mm-hmm. um, call it, it what you will, that darn <laughs> yeah. universe, um, then we find each other, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, and mm-hmm. so the other thing about Lady Bird is that she was running the, um, and was a co-founder of the prison hospice project. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. And so she, I was doing the back page column for a magazine called California Sunday. And we were talking about her, her work there. And I asked if she thought that they, I don't remember how, when she asked me or I asked her, but we were very clear that this was like a really important story. And these men are incredible human beings who are doing really important work that everybody can learn from. Yeah. Not only their work, but their very existence, like mm-hmm. the way, well, A, that they exist, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget about that. Absolutely. Um, uh, and the way in which they're existing within like the most dehumanizing institution um, is so important to see. Mm-hmm. So important to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell the story so that other places could maybe follow suit. And so she and I, she was going every week and for two months, I think it was about two months, um, terrible time. I went with her once a week, um, Mm -hmm. to the meetings, hung out with the guys. And that was just such a, such a gift. It was a gift to Mm -hmm. watch Lady Bird, um, facilitate Mm -hmm. and teach. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's training the guys on being um, caregivers um, right. at, to folks who are dying in prison, because right now in most prisons, like all but two or whatever it is, there's there's no hospice programs. Um, and it was very under the radar. Um, uh, so I hope it's all okay to talk about. I don't know really what the status is. Um, do you know better than I do? Cut this part. Well, yeah, if we're mean, gonna get somebody that, They're still doing, you know, like she's still after it, and and right now I think she's at another prison, not San Quentin, doing doing just what you're describing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it seemed it seemed like they were kind of working within the system to make it happen a little bit under mm-hmm. the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but these. Um, these men who are incarcerated are just getting like in- incredible I mean, yeah, depth of skill. It, let's just say like, I hope it's happy. Is it okay to talk about like, let's just say like, I, it feels like worth acknowledging what a ridiculous thing it is to have something like this uh, be hard to do, like to hard to like let have uh, a part of our community have, you know? Um, so like, who knows? Yeah, and exactly. the reason why that got kind of murky there is because what I feel like we're we're kind of talking around and through is that the institution makes these things incredibly difficult. And that's part of what your point is. Like it is heartbreaking. Like how can any human not have someone, you know? Yeah. Be present with them at their last moments. Yes. They make it very impossible to be a human being. Mm -hmm. And that is the opposite of any kind of rehabilitative system of unjust irony ever. Um, and when I spent the time with Lady Bird in there, I didn't know what I was walking into. Another one of those times where I'm like, I don't know. 
how to connect with, you know, but you go into something really open hearted and just be real, you know, what happened in Folsom? Like what, how did oh, that manifest? Folsom? Yeah. When you, when you like were describing my, the time when you were like, glitchy? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you want to do you know, mind it's a, about that? No, it's a great question. I think it's just been, I think it might be maturity or experience or self-awareness. I think earlier on, and this was early in my trajectory of what I do. I thought that I had to connect with people by being like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was no being like, no, <laughs> it's just when we were like, of course, but of course you're going to oh, find things so in ways that yeah. you're sure. in time, you'll find your similarities and in time that will come. But if you're somewhere for one day, and there's a power dynamic like exists in a maximum security prison or any prison or jail. And there's a story being told and somebody is telling somebody else's story. I don't like doing this, but I have to, like I'm putting one hand up, one hand down, like there's a power hierarchy mm-hmm. um, dynamic, I should say. And it's, it's so it separates us. Yeah. Right. And I felt that I take responsibility for that. Because of I'm in the role I'm in, and also yeah. um, I look pretty different from yeah. the the dudes at the table, and yeah. you know, so mm, there I was do. no point of connection, and I didn't have. I, I would like to say that I didn't have this the skills to be able to bridge that, but in fact, I think that the environment and the um, context wasn't conducive to even making that happen. I don't think it's possible to spend one day with somebody in a dynamic like that. Mm-hmm. And be able to create a connection that is going to like truly benefit them in a way that they feel like safe and respected mm-hmm. sharing their mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Ladybird, she earned the trust of these guys, you know. Um, I spent time with them and earned the trust of these guys. They earned my trust. It's a two way street. Um, we had a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk about that and tell them I say hi, please. I uh, I absolutely will, <laughs> especially yeah, I absolutely will. Thanks. Um, so to go with that thread next, what often humans don't get when when um they're dying. And I, and I don't mean actually just inside, right. In prison. Um, actually mean often outside what I love about your book. And you could be like, no, every interview we talk about that, but the five things is the, it just feels like the, the arc to acknowledge in the book, you know? And, and I kind of, I'm wondering about the journey to that. And as much as you want to share about that element of the book and, um, just, just, um, yeah, it feels very simple while like profoundly valuable to consider the possibility of that list and imagine a moment at a time for each. thing in the list um yeah it matters a lot to get that from the book what may what bring what what comes up for you the listeners are going to be like here he goes again about his mom but i know that that's a Mm. that's part of it Mm. um I have no problem going on again about my mom, but it's just that like, I'm, I'm both like crying because the grief it's, it's my version of like holding the stardust and the, or the glitter you put it in the beginning of our chat and the like grief that's there. It's the, I didn't get all those, that list with someone that I love more than anything. And I can have that, you know, with people moving forward in my life with myself 
I yeah. want to be that. I want to. I want to be that list when I die. I know. You know? I, yeah, when you die, when I die, like those are the conversations I want to have when mm-hmm. I die. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, so the five things were shared with me by um, a man named Roy Raymer, who was the trainer of all of the volunteers at Zen Hospice, um, that there are five things you can say for closure, um, uh, Dr. Ira Bayok wrote a book where he talked about four of those. And as I, I talked to Dr. Um, Bayok about this and he, he said, yeah, this is a, a longstanding tradition across so many cultures that these are these things that, um, that we can say for closure. Um, the fifth thing was, I don't know. I don't know which the fifth thing was. Who knows which was added, you know, but. Oh, yeah. Like uh, of the five, right? you don't know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I don't know. But um, the yeah. five things, as they were told to me, um, are they're, they're points of conversation. They're things that we can say to open up the most meaningful um, conversations we can have with somebody. Mm-hmm for connection and for closure. Mm-hmm. And there can be said at the end of life, but also anytime and even after somebody's past, it's something that we can do with ourselves. Right. Yeah. And they are, um, for, uh, forgive me. I forgive you. Um, thank you. I love you and goodbye. And, you know, um, I recently had my mom, uh, was diagnosed with dementia, um, recently and she's going through testing this week. Yeah. It sucks. Mm. Um, she's going through testing this week for Alzheimer's and I'm watching her change, um, as she has watched me change my whole life. And now I'm watching her and it's very present on my mind, like not to wait to say these things, but I don't want to start yet. Mm. Yeah. I'm not ready, yeah. but I also know that I'll never be ready. Mm. Wow. So that's the way that goes. You can get to all the things Wendy's up to through Wendy's website, which I will not spell out, but I will put in the show notes, wendymcnaughton.com. Also, Wendy and I talked about what they're up to in terms of offerings you can be a part of. So I want you to for sure get Wendy's book, How to Say Goodbye. I cannot recommend it enough. Hopefully this conversation with Wendy really got that clear for you that it's valuable. What a sweet, wonderful thing to have in your life, especially when you're dealing with someone who's dying. But I think especially lately, what it means to kind of keep the wisdom in that book in mind in relationships while we're alive with people that are alive and well, what it means to forgive each other and say goodbye and let go. And anyway, say, I love you. All those things, uh, get the book, give the book. What a gift giving this book to people is such a simple, beautiful, sweet thing to offer into people's lives, both because it's wonderful, creative expression and it's got all that wisdom and beauty and truth to it. So get the book, how to say goodbye. And then also, like I said, a version of for you to be involved in what Wendy's up to, I think to be a part of her creating space 
um, for the things like we talked about in this conversation. Go to Wendy's Substack, wendymcnaughton.substack.com. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And you can actually join Wendy and become a part of the Grown Ups Table community where Wendy and everyone that's involved gets to put the like paying attention, the presence, the like being and creating together, listening, um, what it means to care in those ways and to creatively care. I'm paraphrasing, but what a sweet thing to be a part of. And Wendy is so flexible on how people can participate in that with scholarships um, and whatever support is needed, uh, which I so admire and hope we do more and more of as an organization too, which is like making sure people who need these things get what's needed and to remove whatever restrictions possible um, while we do it uh, to make that, make that happen. Okay. So thank you to Wendy. This is my new favorite episode for all the, all the things. And also it's a favorite episode because if you listened last week to the episode with BJ Miller and Lady Bird Morgan, which is, would be a nice follow-up to this episode, by the way, for reasons you probably get by now, having listened to Wendy and I talk about her connection to them, you'll know at the end of the episode, usually I say Nick Jana and I did it in the last episode and there was no Nick Jana, but guess what? Everybody, Nick Jana. <laughs> Nick Jana. Nick Jana. <laughs> he's there. Just he kidding. I'm there. here. He's there. Here. Uh, just, just. He's still not. What if I did that? A whole setup was like, he's still not here. <laughs> we wish him well. Nick, how you feeling? You, you good? I'm doing better. I just was looking at my name here in this video platform, Hannah, how it's still Stephen Cook gadget because for some reason it asked me a couple months ago for a name and I put that in and that never asked again and I don't know how to change it. And so I'm just forever Stephen Cook gadget. Uh, yeah, you are. And I noticed it and was going to say, hey, you should change that. But whatever, Stephen, you're Stephen. Stephen, how are you today? <clears throat> doing better. Good. Just had a touch of the uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that? Can I say that? Yeah. I mean, that's what you had, okay. right? I mean, I don't know. Is it fair to just yeah. <laughs> the test? I know that's controversial. I don't know. No, you had it. Okay. I'm glad you're back. Missed yeah. you. I don't. Did you listen to the end of the last episode? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, did you really? I did. Okay. Yes, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Maybe you're not feeling well. Yeah. So you just were like, great. The closer plopped it in there. <laughs> Whatever he says, yeah, I'm sure listen. it's fine. Of yeah, course. You're right. Yeah. I Good. Um, Yes, it was funny to hear your name, hear my name on a podcast and not be able to respond. Mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, when you were listening, did you did you just sort of accidentally like knee-jerk reaction start responding? Yeah. Nick Jana. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, glad to have you back. Um, I love the story that you told in the opening mm. and I wanted to know um, a little more about it, uh, the the... I didn't, you didn't really say much about the reaction that the person had when you said that it was you or, uh, so it, just to clarify, like you're talking to them and they say that they like this podcast, but they didn't necessarily recognize your voice at first when they're right. To you. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the moment when I said all the, like, I'm crying, I cry when I facilitate, I believe in it. That's how I facilitate. Then they said, can I just stop you? Cause I'm realizing something now. And I want you to know what I've realized. And it is this, this is the podcast I listen to. And I'm realizing you're the person, you're the person, you're the, okay. the host. Yeah. Okay. And I, they were obviously just kind of completely bowled over by this realization. And then, you know, me, I just, of course, burst into tears and, and was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. I mean, especially, I, I won't belabor the point, but especially considering the fact that I needed, I knew I needed to call them and I knew it probably yeah. would help me a little bit, kind of like get out of my junk. But then to have it be so extremely uh, wildly wonderful was really, really, whew. but yeah, that's how it went. And they just, yeah, I mean, since then we've had some email exchanges and sh she's just over the moon about this sort of serendipity of, of life. And I think maybe even something I feel, I guess she doesn't say this, but maybe implies it, what it means to like go through 
stuff that asks more of us, maybe even hard stuff. And when we say yes, when we like go through the doors that, that emerge, even in the hardest parts of life, how the universe, let's say, put it in those terms, good, good word to use for this episode. The universe says, yeah, you know, here's why you did what's needed. This is why it mattered. You know, you're doing okay. Keep going. Yeah. It's funny when you think of all the people in the world and all the possible pairings that, you know, someone could have that. <clears throat> now, it's not totally a coincidence because you're in the same, certain realms of healing and, you know, life care and stuff, but um, that you could just come up against that. It's, it's just funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty special, man. And, you know, acknowledgement for you, too, and what we're up to, that there's a, a mostly often immeasurable, imperceptible you know, growth happening and a connection and a network happening of listenership. And and that felt really good for me, too, you know, because like we've talked about before, what does it mean when you put an album out and how do you know it mattered to people? And the podcast feels like little weekly blips of that. I won't, of course, say that episodes match what it means, you know, to put work into an album, but the podcast project in general, I think we have times, or at least I do, where it's like, is this meeting people, right? Is it working? You know? Or it's like a show. I probably told you this before, but I played some shows to, you know, like four people. Yes. <laughs> um, and went, you know, back to my room afterwards and was like, well, that was pointless. Maybe I shouldn't do this, you know? Yeah. And, you know, two years later got a letter from somebody. It was like, Who, I was right. at this show of yours, yeah. was, you know, yeah. and it changed my life. And mm -hmm. I went home and I wrote a book, you know, and I was like, no, there mm -hmm. was nobody there. Yeah. Like there, I was impossible. I cannot believe that, that, that somebody was there, you know, or even like that vibe didn't, I didn't get that sense that that was happening or, you know, to the four people. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the you middle, just, you yeah. just, you just don't know. Like you don't. I when I'm teaching writing, people get so hung up on wh how are people going to react to this, or like, does the world need more of this thing that I'm writing? This emotion, this anger, this sadness, whatever. It's like you just don't know. Like you really don't know, and it it tricks you this illusion when you see people, prominent public people. You're like, they gotta know, right? I mean, they must know. Like their effect on people or what? You know, um, maybe at some point you do, but I I don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. And that sentiment inspired the mid-show moment too, which is encouraging our listeners to share the episode and the podcast with people who might, might need it. And the thank you at the end of the mid-show moment really is this thing I need to stay grounded in with, with everything I do in life, especially with my work. But it, it's, it's the enoughness of who we get to be with and, and how wholly and fully we give ourselves to the moment, whether it's just you and me or four people in an audience or however many numbers of listeners we have out there, that there's certainly a hope we connect to more people who like, like need what we're offering. And wow, what an incredible, miraculous, wonderful enoughness we already have. And, and you certainly remind me in the endeavor of the podcast project too, like that we get to do this together every week, you and I, that I got to talk to Wendy and have that meaningful conversation that the podcast is out in the world in the ways it is like how good we've gotten at it, how proud I am of every episode we put out and the content we're creating, how the production is so good. Like that is a dream come true. Like what we're doing right now is a dream come true. And just to give ourselves enough time to say, oh, yeah, like this is enough and it's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Nick. Thank you. And thanks to all you listeners. You are enough. We're so glad you're here and it's so good to be in your ear. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.